Hiya, welcome to Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability and the built environment. This one is about conservation-led retrofit and the retrofit of commercial or institutional building stock. Now, on our trip to Ireland, we were very fortunate to be invited to see a recent Aaron Rod Aaron, the, the Irish Railway, a retrofit project there and meet up with for running the show in terms of sustainability, Heidi Hopper Duffy, the environmental and sustainability manager there, and project architect David Hughes. He's a senior architect and conservation architect and energy specialist there. Ostensibly, we're talking about energy efficiency and conservation of built heritage. In this case, fortunately, the railway, guided by David and Heidi's experience, can be lauded as a, a leader in its field. The projects we mainly talk about in this episode have been led by David. There's the retrofit of this historic building that we were in on the day. And we talk about another one. It was a train driver's building, retrofitted to Passive House Standard, thereabouts, that Jeff featured ages ago in the pages of Passive House Plus. So readers might recognise it. Right, mind the background noise. We had a few unexpected interruptions from an occasionally boisterous meeting room next door. You can still hear everything that's being said. It's just a little bit annoying occasionally. Should be fine though. As well as these projects, uh, we also cover broader bits, usual stuff. What should we be quantifying? Like carbon, energy, whatever. Design for deconstruction, BRs and energy certification, usual themes. All right, I'll let you get into it. Thank you for listening. Just in case, um, there were a few slides on that that might be relevant. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not. I know we're not going to do a slideshow. Yeah. Oh, wow. And what we what we did is we started to strip away the ceiling, and we discovered these arches, which had. Pre- oh yeah, I guess so, you hadn't seen them so before. Yeah. That that it, national inventory of architectural heritage reference yeah. there mm. said the interior had been lost, <clears throat> so right. people didn't even know it was there. Uh, we're, we're not going to get into a slideshow on the podcast, as you said, but this is just to give you a feel for the sort of bigger picture. And yeah. what's interesting here is in terms of residential buildings, we have 2 million in Ireland, but we've only 100,000 commercial mm. buildings. And of that database, the 55,000, about 25,000 are residential, the rest are commercial. So commercial buildings as a proportion of protected structures, it's a much higher percentage. So in terms, so this this is a very good example of a projected structure in a commercial use, and the the sort of type of energy used in this electricity, but you, you can see here, but electricity is probably the highest type of energy that's in use, which obviously is very polluting. Oh, yeah. I analysed the database for the BERs, um, and so this gives you an idea. So this is the the, the National BER research tool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So this uh, is all of the the. the million plus dwellings yeah. in Ireland that have building energy ratings. Mm. So I, I put this through a sort of thing called pandas and I got this data out of it. So basically you can see almost the age of the building. You can see like we're talking early 20th century here, you know, and basically the energy performance improves with the age. So what are we talking about? Well, it's, it, that's, there's a few things we could talk about. There's this project very obviously. There's Bear in mind, I'm going to be using this in the edit. Oh, you're going to be using this in the edit? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, might as well, we've only got an hour, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so... So you can verbalise your thoughts. Yeah, you were talking to me before, David, about um, the number of buildings in your stock. 
Um, it's well, a, it's, it's a big chunk of buildings uh, that we, that we, Rod Aaron has, right? I, um, I certainly know in the analysis of John of the NIAH that we've had housing structures recorded on that. And that would include everything from railway viaducts to station buildings to signal cabins and so on. So, okay. Um, <clears throat> but obviously, yeah, I think Aaron Rod Aaron CIE is actually the biggest landholder in the state. Right. So we would have a commensurate number of buildings and structures to go along with that. So I, I, I'm I, not, I couldn't say for definite, yeah. it, but, it, but it sounds about right. Yeah. And uh, I suppose what interests me is that when we start to see really progressive stuff happening with, with uh, you know, uh, even, even if it's just uh, for now, the odd exemplar project mm. within those buildings, um, what scope, uh, the thing that excites me is what scope there is for, for that being applied more broadly through uh, through through more of that stock, you know. Well, uh, I yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do in the the project that we're sitting in now is is Conley Station, where we've just done a major energy retrofit of a classical station in Dublin, one of the two main stations originally. It dates from eighteen forty four, and we've dropped the energy down on this from about six hundred and fifty kilowatt hours down to seventy five. So it's not quite energy, but it there's a reason for that, and that's because it was a conservation-led retrofit. So, is that um, when you say 650 to 75? This is this is uh, what PHP is saying specifically PHP for space heating. For space heating. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> exactly. Um, and so, what what we found is, you know, by by having a look at this project in particular, a lot of different metrics appear to us for reasons why we would want to tackle the stock more widely. Mm. And probably one of the more interesting ones is the whole discussion about embodied energy and certainly embodied energy of a new build versus keeping an existing building. Yeah. So uh, they say for a similar commercial office building, which this use is, the embodied energy per square meter is about a thousand kilograms per square meter. Yeah. yeah. And just to put that in context, one one uh, flight return flight to New York is about a thousand kilograms um, and the average family will drive a family car and emit about three thousand kilograms yeah so if you can keep one square meter of a building you've got a return flight to New York if you can keep three square meters of an existing <laughs> building you can drive your family car for the year guilt free and so on and in many ways what we're trying to do in the railways encourage people clearly to transition to low carbon and more sustainable forms of transport of which obviously the train is, is a very good example and in really in, in selling that message we want to be kind of consistent in how we approach our own projects and our own buildings so we kind of felt by doing this it would be a good example to kind of show that you know we mean what we say and we're going to follow through so this, this project in particular um, has actually spawned a few others. I'm working on another one now, which is the Chief Mechanical Engineer's Office in Inchicore. So he's responsible for the upkeep and purchase of the rolling stock. So he's now looking at his building. Um, we did one there back at the end of 2020, which was another locomotive shed in Galway Station, Kent Station in Galway. That was a, a disused and somewhat gutted shell that we put a new structure into that is quite close to Enerfish as well. Okay. Um, and uh, But this probably is the most important structure, both architecturally and historically, that we've tackled. So that's so the, it's interesting for me um, uh, uh, in, the, in the sense that 
even beyond your own stock, um, uh, we have this broader issue uh, when we talk about existing buildings of uh, this long-standing apparent conflict between uh, the kind of conservation of buildings imperative. Yeah. You cannot touch this building. Yeah. Um, and energy conservation, and we see uh, a lot of unsatisfactory results uh, uh, from uh, extreme approaches on either side. I'm thinking, um, for instance, uh, you know, the the obvious extremist people just not touching a building and expecting to, you know, be like Jacob Rees-Mogg and live like a like a in uh, Dickensian squalor and enjoy that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, um, on one hand, and then on the other hand, uh, Fionn Stevenson shared something on LinkedIn last week showing uh, some external installation to a historic building uh, where they left um, uh, they cut out around uh, some sort of uh, ornate uh, details, around, you know, at a, a jam, I think it was, you know, and um, absurd stuff, yeah. you know. Um, so um, that yeah. tension between the two and try, yeah. trying to find ways, because of course, we have to, we, we need to keep our architectural heritage, of course, but we can't, you know, uh, we, there's no point having beautiful, beautifully intact old buildings in a, in a, in a destroyed world, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no point doing the work if you're going to leave a gap like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's futile. What a waste of energy. What a waste of carbon. Yeah. Well, I think the phrase conservation-led retrofit is the phrase I'd emphasize for this project. And... Um, I started off on this journey going down looking at low energy buildings nearly, I probably started about 2006 when I looked at designing a new railway station for Kent Station in Cork. Um, and as corny as it sounds, I literally had just seen an inconvenient truth and I decided, right, the next project we're going to do is going to be net zero without even knowing what that was. And I remember even having to figure out, what is a kilowatt hour again? Oh, yeah, it's it's something a kilowatt for an hour. I, I mean, it was at that level, so okay. I'm not talking about this was already in the back pocket. And we worked up to that project with engineers, and we got it to net zero. <clears throat> uh, we entered it for a thing called the Green Dot Awards, International Awards in California. It actually got first place. Right. But unfortunately, the financial crash happened and the project didn't get built. It was all, it was, we were all the way up to tender drawings and so on. That's um, one way to get a net zero result is not to build anything. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that case, yeah. Do you so, need it? That was always the thing. Well, that, like, that's, that's the first, that's question. The first question. That is yeah. Yeah. absolutely right. But, um, but it was a huge learning curve. And what I realized is the amount of calculation involved was huge. And then I discovered the passive house planning package and the passive house tool. So the next project I did then was a driver's building in Port Leash, which yeah. I know you featured. Um, Amazing project, yeah. actually. And I didn't realize, as I was saying to Heidi earlier, um, quite how prescient uh, the design was. This was um, a train driver's accommodation building, yeah. um, which, as you described it to me, the, the train drivers are like the, the rock stars of the... Yeah, yeah. well, if the drivers don't turn up, there's no service, so yeah. it's very important. And they know but, that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, it it was quite important that they get uh, a good building mm-hmm. to, to and the location was literally halfway between Dublin and Cork, more or less. 
And this so, is for drivers who are on standby. Like, in other words, if a driver calls in sick, this is... is that, no, es no, essentially, it's almost like turning up for work. So you go in, you change into your uniform, okay. uh, you, you, you might make yourself a cup of coffee or whatever, and okay. then you look at your rota, and you get... And then oh, you so it's used yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah it's, yeah, it's 24 hours as well, which was another particularly interesting use, and that definitely helped from a passive house point of view, because the 24-hour yeah. usage is, is, is useful. So when I say it was prescient... Um, it's we've over the last two three years in the magazine started to really get into the nuts and bolts of um of embodied carbon calculation mm. of buildings um and the more you do that the more you you realize how difficult it is to achieve substantial reductions in embodied carbon um uh lots of the things that you you thought you knew i go out the window um and uh, uh you end up, you know, concrete use of very obviously it, yep. you, uh, is is something that that, that, uh, that penalizes you, but a, a lot of timber can also penalize you if it's if it's new timber um, because of the, the way the counting works. Um, so, if I was to describe that building, it's basically a a, a, a cellulose filled uh, timber box, but using not not mass timber. Is, yes, is it, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's almost like creating formwork for concrete. So you've kind of got these shutters of plywood and OSB, and you fill that then with cellulose insulation, yeah. which interestingly was from train uh, newspapers that were left on the trains. So Amazing. we got them recycled. So that was upcycling. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Um, did, you, did you engineer that yourself? Did yeah, you? well, we got into discussions where... Um, with, with Excel Industries. Excel in, in yeah. Wales. And I can't say for definite, in fact, I'm fairly sure that it's not, that the exact same newspaper off the train went into the building. It was a sort of net. They, they, yeah. We were collecting the newspapers and we got a project back. So, I mean, so, but it, it's, it's good enough in my book. For anyway. the sake of the story, <laughs> yeah. we'll say it came off the train <laughs> yeah. and into the walls. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. Yeah. 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 Really visualize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That, and that's the thing, because we're moving, mm. we're talking mm. about uh, norm. We're moving from a space where there's a lot of uh, uh, smoke and mirrors and obfuscation and accountancy sleight of hand. Um, mm. And if we can start to relate these to tangible things, to real decisions being made in buildings, through a product in cellulose that that is extraordinarily low embodied carbon from what we've seen compared to mm. most of the other insulins that you'd look at, um, because not because of the CO two sequestered in the in the in the paper itself, but because it's a uh, uh, simple uh, manufacturing process where very, very little energy really is required. Yeah. And it's upcycling as well. It's not just recycling, it's upcycling. Mm -hmm. So you're taking a product. I mean, what's interesting is today, we probably wouldn't have anything like the same amount of newspapers left on the train. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it wasn't, yeah. uh, it isn't a thing so much, but it was a thing then. There were even free the newspapers. Free, free heralds. Given and out, yeah. Yeah. So there was quite heralds. an amount yeah. of them. Yeah. So, so we were taking what could have been a waste stream, we were upcycling it, and we were putting it into the building. And, and then on top of that, so, uh, so it was cellulose for the, for the roof, the walls, and the floors, a timber yep. box. Yeah. Um, Sitting on stilts, so you were Correct. minimizing the, the thermal the, bridge with yeah. the ground. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a slab. There was an existing slab there. Is that right? Or what did you? Pour um, well, th so there's a few things, and this gets back to the difficulty of the calculation. So um, there was actually a small change in level in Port Leash, so the that the level that people would be walking from the towards the building was slightly higher than yeah. the level that the building would be located upon. Yeah. Uh, but one of the most difficult calculations um, in passive house is actually the whole exchange of heat with 
the ground. <clears throat> and I kind of thought, I can just avoid that calculation by lifting the whole building up and treating yeah. it like a wall. <laughs> yeah. so, so it actually, it was, it, it, but architecturally, you were kind of thinking of buildings like the Farnsworth House, a famous building in Chicago. Yeah. So there was, there, you know, there, so there's all these different reasons for doing it. And I often think like, you know, design should not, I think I remember hearing you say on the previous podcast that you said somebody had the uh, the anorak and the turtleneck, you know. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, so I kind of think, yeah, I, I definitely sort of subscribe to that. I'd like to think I, I have both and maybe I've also got the tweed jacket now for conservation as well. So, <laughs> just, just to make some that is an unholy mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a fashion in the sense, it's just an analogy. <laughs> Uh, so, so it's sitting on stilts, and uh, again, you know, was there a concrete pour uh, that the stilts sit on? Well, I was looking for, because of exactly the topic that you raised, and I first came across this. There was a there was a See the Light conference where uh, an architect called Minka McInerney, who I haven't yeah. heard of since, gave a presentation of work she'd done in Cat Centre in Wales, and she talked about if you use cellulose, it was like the equivalent of. 30 years gas heating or something and mm. that's what put me on to that kind of train of thought so when i came to the building in, in port leash i was very much looking at yeah how can we reduce embodied carbon and concrete was one of the first ones and i was trying to convince the engineers could we just put in stone instead of concrete okay for uh instead of having a concrete footing could we put yeah, in a yeah, stone yeah. footing and Again, there was a lot of discussion about that and what we decided to do is we kind of compromised because again, to do all the calculations for stone, the compressive strength, yeah. we just went for pad footings under each column exactly. instead yeah. of having a big that's, long strip. That's so, that, you know, it's, you know, you're it's, not taking a, there's a discussion, there's, yeah. a, there's a solution reached where you're, uh, I would love to see quantification of, of the reduction. Yeah. And uh, mm. if, if a calculation was done on that building, it would be extraordinary result. And the other significant dimension I remember, which again is so far ahead of its time at the time, was uh, even for now, was a uh, dismountable stone climbing. Yeah. yeah. So again, another theme that was emerging was designed for deconstruction. Um, and again, and I come across this standard from Canada, the um, the Living Building Challenge. Oh, Sorry, yeah. that's the one. And again, that had taken things to just a whole new level of kind of investigation and one was this whole idea of instead of looking at cradle to grave can you look at cradle to cradle how can the material after its end use actually have another life and it was interesting because even the bolting the connections for the building in port leash we looked at bolted connections only because bolts can be demounted so in terms of design for deconstruction so it literally can be unbolted. Similarly, we clad the building in granite. Um, and one of the reasons we picked granite was because it's the most abundant stone in the world. It's never going to run out. Yeah, and I mean, all you're dealing with, I suppose there's some embodied carbon cutting it and transporting yeah. it. And but... obviously quarrying it out yeah. and so on. But after that then, we hung it on a system where it was dry mounted. So we didn't put any silicon around any of the joints. So again, in the future, it could simply be dismounted, or indeed, in the future, should they decide to extend because the service is growing, 
it's a very easy building to extend as well. So it's one of those kind of uh, sort of win-wins. When you kind of go down this route of thinking this way, there's, there's often other benefits in terms of extendability and demountability and so on. So yeah, so that was a, a that was an important topic that we looked at. And we also had a solar thermal pattern to provide hot water. Uh, we did look at doing uh, an on-site wastewater treatment but in the end, we used the available sort of sewage system on site, and we were it's more sustainable. Probably. We were going to well, yeah, we were going, but we were looking at everything. So, yeah. so that's the point. You know. How much extra labour? So I'm I'm particularly interested in the deconstruction aspect, but designing for deconstruction. Yeah. How much extra labour did that cost you in terms of? putting the designs together to, to thinking through the project yeah well i it's, it's very hard to quantify that there's no doubt i mean i think in some ways a lot of people in the passive house community and other communities will say probably no longer costs that much more to build a passive house than a regular house particularly because the regulations have caught up with it yeah. but it definitely does have more thinking power that's absolutely i think we sell ourselves short a bit there's an awful lot of number crunching in it and yes you do have to go through that and it was like that first building i told you about when you were kind of trying to say what's a kilowatt hour and then you figure it out and but once you get over that hump, I think the next one is easier and the next one yeah, so is easier. It becomes standard and then it's, yeah. it's something that's already it, templated. And then you're... It becomes a way of your thinking. And I think, I think it's as much the way the building industry is so kind of, um, everything runs on quite thin margins. So everybody wants to do something the same way that they did the last yeah. time. And, and they won't necessarily create the time or the space to try and think of these new ways of doing things. Luckily, I, I had the opportunity and I had the time to do that. It was a small project, which I think was quite important because yeah. to do that on a large project, I think it just would have been too much. So, you know, you, you, you had a small project, it was experimental. If you made a mistake, it was a small mistake, but it was also a, a huge advantage in terms of learning. Do you think you'd be able to apply what you learned in that circumstance to a much larger project now, though? Oh, 100%, yeah. Are you? Um, well, uh, I haven't as yet. Um, that's only because large project. There, there was um, a, a station, one of the following projects from that, um, I'm not sure if I can talk about this or not, but I'll say it and we, we'll find out afterwards, is, <laughs> is uh, uh, the Navin line. <clears throat> so they're, they're now looking at reopening the Navin line, but it, it, it was actually under consideration in 2010. And the first project after Port Leash I did was actually designed for Navin Central Station. And I kind of rolled all of everything I'd learned in Port Leash into that. So much so that I'd say even if the 10-year-old or 14-year-old design at this stage was built, I still think it'd be right up there for, mm -hmm. for the reasons that you were saying about Port Leash. So definitely you can roll it in. I mean, it's almost like once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's yeah. very, it's once once you kind of go down this road, you, you just can't do it the other way. It's mm -hmm. it's kind of almost enough about you. It's, it's like when the smoking ban came in. I mean, you can't imagine actually walking into a bar and ex expecting smoke in there. As soon I think as you, people's expectations change. Yeah. And like your own mindset changes. And yes. Yeah. As, soon, as soon as you walk in, the faintest whiff of it, you'll, you'll pick it up at me too. You say, what's yeah. going on here? And, and I think it's the same in terms of, of when you see 
buildings and and you know the way they can be done. You just you just can't go backwards. Just just to be clear, you're not talking about uh, odor in a passive house. It's, no, uh, <laughs> yeah. quite the opposite. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, just curious, David, is mm. there any um, you know the CACR the the Cork area commuter rail? Yes, there's like eight new stations. Going yes, that? yeah, I'm, I'm not involved in that. Could <laughs> yeah. you be involved and, in that? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, um. Uh, this, I mean, this is the thing. It's it's a large company, yeah, and yeah, uh, you know, you you can't be everywhere at all times. But I mean, the the, the projects that I have become involved in now, as I say, kind of complete that uh, awful triumvirate of style. Uh, the <laughs> adds adds the tweed jacket yeah. to to the turtleneck yeah, yeah. and the underwear. <laughs> so so definitely, um, I think the historic building side of things was probably the most difficult thing. Uh, um, many, uh, you know. By Port Leash, like as I said, went through the the net zero station first, then the first passive house, and I think that was the first passive house for any railway in the world, and it's also the first one that was mm. non-residential for the station in Ireland. Um, so, and, and you're kind of always trying to find where where's the next frontier, and I think historic buildings definitely were. You know, well, well this is it. and the thing is that a lot of people who go down the passive house rabbit hole. Mm find that and just to build on what you're saying about mm. once you see it you can't unsee it 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 brings them down it brings them into a kind of a, a building physics space in a way mm. that uh, that uh, they, they hadn't really envisaged before yep. um and you end up i mean i know we've we've uh as architects like john moorhead for instance would be a good example we a friend of the pair of us who um another podcast who's uh, got a sideline now opening up as a building pathologist. You know, yeah. basically yeah. doing like the equivalent of CSI for yeah. for every construction site is a crime scene kind of stuff. You know, um, yeah. and uh, uh, so in other words, there will be things that. Well, I'm assuming, perhaps incorrectly, um, but is it the case that? Some of the know-how that you would have gleaned from that would have informed your understanding of how to approach historic buildings. Definitely, yeah, and uh, I, I would. Kind of to continue that analogy, the pathologist, I'd say I'm sort of like a building geriatrician. So, <laughs> so you're going into these quite old buildings and you're trying to see, okay, how were they put together originally? What damage has been done? You know, maybe with good intentions. Yeah. You know, how can we reverse it? How can we bring it back to life? And so that that is very much the case. And. That, I think, is a difference between what I call a conservation-led retrofit as opposed to maybe a passive house-led retrofit yeah. where, where you're just simply following a number at all costs. Yeah. I think what you've got to do with a, with a historic building, and especially one of the importance that this one has, is you've got to look at each element and you can say reasonably, what can I do here? You yeah. can go so far, no more. So you're not being... Uh, <clears throat> You know, uh, fundamentalist. No, nope. um, and that's that's really important. Yeah, so but you'd be fundamental about the conservation part more than about the energy part. So right. the, the, the thing is to understand the importance of the building, yeah. realize what you're delivering. But I think what was interesting in this particular project was in going about the Enerfit or the retrofit energy retrofit because it's not actually Enerfit standard. It gave you the opportunity to explore the history of the building yeah. and then bring that back in the way that probably had we just gone in and said look I tell you what we've seen a few inappropriate suspended ceilings we'd like to take them down and show an old molding again yeah and could you give us some money for that people would say well yeah it's a nice idea but you know whereas the fact that it was on the back yeah. of improving the building's energy performance overall it gave us 
the opportunity and the budget to to bring back the history. Of the well, it's, your, so, it's your cost benefit analysis. Essentially, yeah. On the further, yeah. you know, further bills are going to be lower because yeah, how you're doing. Yeah, this absolutely. Now. And uh, so, I mean, I have some photographs, which obviously the viewers or the listeners won't see, but you can just see how far we did have to peel back the layers in order to discover what was behind and then bring it back. Yeah. So it was back to the future in a way. We we really did bring it back to what had been considered a lost interior. We brought that back. It's a funny thing I've heard quite often over the last six months in particular, like passive house people, passive, former passive house zealots, perhaps. Mm. I don't know specifically yeah. whether yeah. you were, yeah. but... Mm. De-radicalised. Yeah. I, I, would just, I would assume you went through a phase of passive house zealotry, because yeah. like, most passive house people do, because it's... It is a thing that you can find yourself really enthusiastic about, and it feels like the solution to mm. all of the built environment's ills. But increasingly, we hear people talking about passive house in terms where they're much more willing to compromise mm. just to make the difference. Yep. Like we were at the Buildings Action Coalition webinar the other well, last month now, and you know we had the institute talking about retrofit, but not to benefit standard. Yeah, like yep. we've got Andy Simmons from the ECB now. You know, he's still a massive advocate for Passive House, but he's, well, he's leading the, the carbon light standard. And that Which, isn't... Yeah, the fact that the, the Passive House Institute have allowed another organisation to develop another couple of standards, mm. retrofit and evil standards, using their tool, their software, um, is extraordinary. Um, yeah. and, and using it with, with, with more moderate or more, with less onerous targets, you know. So yeah. we're getting to a position where... People who are trained in Passive House are using Passive House principles. Where yep. once that would be a, a, a horrific euphemism for yes, not yeah. really being bothered to do it the job properly. It could be considered greenwashing even, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. now I'm like, oh man, there is a, 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 a version of that that is principled yeah. and effective and uh, makes sense. And yeah. again, I would use that phrase conservation-led. So you're, you're there and you're saying, you know, it's the, it's the historic structure that's important here. We've got to sort of appreciate what that is, understand that, and not take it, you know, as you said, so somewhat tongue-in-cheek as we were arriving here, you're glad that you saw it wasn't covered in external insulation. I mean, that would never uh, have even entered the mindset, nor would it. And yet you see, you do see that happening, and you see a lot of quite modest, but still, you know, important enough buildings yeah. treated that way, and they lose the character unbelievably um, yeah. and uh, funny enough I was just over in Trinity yesterday and I was passing the Rubrics building and I saw the way that they had used an external uh, I think it's diaphanite on that yeah. building yeah. and then they put an NHL lime render over that and they gave it the historic texture and, and that looks so right and, you yeah. know, and so you really have to have the sensitivity to historic buildings and what can be done from an energy point of view. And you look at each of the elements and you try to do the best thing that you can. Yeah. But what what's so typical is because you're dealing with structures, usually at a G rating, that you're up at a very high energy level anyway. So it's quite easy to probably get an 80% reduction. Mm. It doesn't mean you get down to 25 kilowatt hours for a passive house, but yeah. you might be at 100, but yeah. you're still going from 600 to 100. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's still a huge saving. And because, as I said, a lot of these buildings and indeed residential buildings that are G rated use electricity, if we can reduce them, yeah. We have to just deal with a much smaller number of buildings to make that massive improvement yeah. overall yeah, rather yeah. than try to do. I think when the, I first heard about uh, possibly it was Energy Sprung or it was that Dutch. Um, um, Ronald Rovers. Yes. And he was kind of saying, 
that they in in Holland they were looking or in the Netherlands they were looking at either would it be better to improve 100% of the building stock by 10% or 10% of the buildings by 90%. And clearly, I mean, you know, if you're going to do, it's better to do 10% by 90% to then roll on to the next 10% and the next 10% as you're understanding from that 10%, you know, and, and that that's very much the approach I think we have here. You know. That's really great. So Heidi, how does this fit within uh, Erin Rod Aaron's broader sort of sustainability structures. We have um, targets that are set um, at government level for semi-state companies such as ourselves of reducing our carbon um, emissions by 51% by 2030, which when you take into account that 80% of our attraction is diesel, that's extremely hard to come by, especially since yeah. we're not going away from diesel that, that quickly. But part of that is, and one of the, you know, as our portfolio, or the, the pie, the pie yeah. chart, is um, is our buildings, to look at our building infrastructure, because we have, a, you know, a huge portfolio of buildings. And looking at um, building energy ratings is very important. So we have rolled out this this project to actually look at those bit building ratings, see what can be done, the low-hanging fruit, essentially, getting those those up to scratch, and then hopefully reducing our energy consumption through them as well, um, which will give us a bit more of our, our rating for our, our uh, emissions. So, But it is, it's, it's hard to look at other things, other parts of the company when the glaring part of the pie yeah. is, is yeah. Our, our diesel traction, the traction power for our trains being diesel. Um, so there is a lot of plans in place to yeah. get away from that. But that having been said, and sometimes I think we measure that one the wrong way because there's a phrase that just came across yesterday in another meeting called TOD, which is Transport Orientation Design. It was a phrase I hadn't come across. It was the UIC, the Union International Shimano Ferry, mm-hmm. said to me. And uh, I mean, if you think of a typical car, it's only used for 5% of the time or about one hour a day. That's basically what it's being used for. Um, and already we know that if we need to reduce transport emissions, in effect, three out of four journeys that are currently done in the car need to move to some mm-hmm. form of public transport. Yeah. And if we go back to that metric of three tons per, per year, so we're going to get that three tons down to what's that, about 650, 750, somebody can check the maths later. You know, so to, to do that by providing the train service, by providing the buildings that are, you know, complementary to the sustainable ethos of the service, you know, the, there's going to be a huge benefit in terms of transport emissions more generally. So I think to focus on just the amount of diesel that we're using and running the trains, it, it's definitely a metric that should be measured, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's only it, part of the that's, picture. That's a very good point yeah. because it's Erin mm-hmm. Aaron's carbon footprint that you're yeah. looking at. But if yeah. you look at transport, mm-hmm. What is it? One percent? I think public transport is only ten yeah, percent. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a number yeah. in there um, where it's just minor compared to what people use in their cars. So mm. that, like you said, if you were to look at the whole balance of Ireland, mm. you should be looking at cars yeah. and getting them out of their yeah. cars into yeah. public transport and just making public transport more efficient and more regular yeah. so that they will use them. Yeah, and, and it's not about forcing people out. It's just by offering them a choice, but it's a choice that hopefully becomes a no-brainer. It's also changing mindsets. It's also changing yeah. kind of people's habits of, of yeah. how they actually get to one place or the other. And it is combating the psychologies of what, what will make people get on a train, like, you know, looking at um, timetables, how to make them more efficient so that people actually will link up. Yeah. Getting those that, that last mile connection, yeah. um, it's That's really good. hard to, to combat that when you have a very, it's a very rural island yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so right. it is very spe- like you like you said i went to a conference where a guy said on there he's like he was supposed to be touting sustainability he said i'll tell you i will never get out of my car 
Yeah. There's no other efficient method for me to get from my house in the middle of the country to to a local town. Well, convenience is what drives everything yeah, in is, contemporary yeah. society. Mm. You know, we've uh, in terms of food production, we left it to the supermarkets because mm. it suited us to do so, or rather, it appeared to suit us to do so. We didn't mm. have an awful lot of choice about the matter in mm. reality mm. and it's the same with transport mm. uh, like being in the UK where transport systems being run down systematically cars are being supported yeah. increasingly even down to the, the fostering of conspiracy theories around 15 minute cities oh, as yeah. was reported the other day yeah, yeah. like it's utterly absurd how these issues are being wrapped into culture wars but having lived in Glasgow and London and in Dublin, where public transport infrastructure is pretty good. I mean, Dublin didn't compare it's, to London. It's getting a lot better now. The, the current government is, is, is putting a lot of resources into it, so it's, 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 it makes me optimistic. You know? But London, it never occurred to me to drive a car. And that's just, it, it becomes your ethos. It becomes the how you live. Is that, that's part of it, is public <coughs> transport. And coming from America, <laughs> I oh, yeah. can tell you that the West Coast has no public transport. It's very, very minor. It is not a thought. It is not, when when um, Philip, my husband, came over to visit once in Seattle, he yeah. said, oh, we'll just take the bus. I'm like, what bus? <laughs> yeah. Where? And yeah. It, no one does that. Yeah. <laughs> just not no, a, it, it I remember, a, it's um, a huge difference so, already, yeah. But these are, these are policy-driven mm. yeah. uh, behaviors and decisions. Yeah. So in the same way, like, you might be, you might fret about the, the emissions involved in a diesel-driven public transport infrastructure. That's all going to change at some point. It has to. Like, elect- you move to it electrification, will, will, yeah. Yeah. as we were just discussing before the podcast. Yeah. Like, all right, so you move to electrification, the electricity is still powered by yeah, those fossil not, fuels. Yeah. Yes. But that's going to change as well. Exactly, I mean, yeah. if there's one thing Ireland's got, it's coast. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you've got an awful lot of wind. Like, mm. you will be able to capitalise on that. You don't necessarily have to take the, the nuclear option. Yeah. Like, it- <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally, yeah. 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 Yeah, and yeah. what you see, um, uh, Morocco has just put in a, a high-speed line, and there's an opportunity for countries, particularly more rural countries or less developed countries, to leapfrog over oh, kind of mistakes that we've made, where Excellent. we've made a car-dependent sort of road network and so on. They can leapfrog, because basically they, they have a lot of land that they can build on. It's not as expensive to build. They, it's, they, it's so much easier to start yeah. with infrastructure yeah. for electricity versus the having the track there that's, that already yeah. runs diesel trains. It's a lot. And fewer vested interests as well. Mm-hmm. We've had the same uh, microgrids yeah. uh, in terms of energy generation. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, West Africa, there are significant maneuvers being made there to electrify communities, mm-hmm. which you couldn't begin to try here or in but the UK. But we are or... actually looking at that. There is there is these kind of micro energy projects they're talking about where you're actually trying to generate enough electricity or power or whatever it is within that certain area yeah. and just take them off the grid is the idea or lessen yeah. what you're actually taking from the grid. So solar panels, usually PV panels or yeah. small wind farms, that sort of thing. But Peter Smith yeah, and yeah, CME is yeah. looking yeah. at a lot of those. All so right. just making them more efficient themselves, therefore you know, alleviating yeah, yeah. What, what needs to be done, yeah. But I always think you need to go back to this, uh, what they call energy triage or trias energetica, which is this pyramid. And, you know, the base of the pyramid, the easiest win is just reducing your demand. And I think that's where the passive house, it absolutely nails it. Just reducing it down, getting it down that 80%, 90%. And then thereafter, you, you can, can start, start looking yeah, at how do you true. supply yeah, that yeah. energy. Minimizing whereas, what you need, then you're going to... Whereas most people seem to start the other way around. It's kind of like, you don't have to change your lifestyle. You don't have to think about anything. We're just going to give you clean electricity. And, and the point is, 
how are you going to do that? Whereas if you reduce the amount by 80-90%, much better chance. And to get back to your discussion about wind, one of the problems with wind, obviously, is its intermittency. Yep. So what you have in the passive house is, in effect, uh, an energy battery. Uh, you can store the energy. You can build, bring the building up to 21, 22 degrees. It will lose half a degree per day if there's no heating on. So if there's no wind blowing, it can drop back down to maybe 20 degrees. That gives you four days of a buffer that when the wind comes back on, you take it up again. And you're using that, which is a far more environmentally friendly way than, say, storing it in an actual battery, which has all of the other issues to do with the rare earth metals and the mining and even the the life of the battery, which what are we going to do? When we're going to start recycling all these batteries from EVs, whatever, you know, so there's, there's a much bigger picture. Um, and I kind of think, but it all starts with reducing the demand. And for some reason, that seems to be the hardest one to sell because I think people inherently feel that somehow reducing something is like doing without. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Bjorn Ingels of, of Big Architects, he came up with a marvelous phrase. He said, sustainable hedonism. So, so it's not doing without. <laughs> You're, you're getting to this level of comfort with very little well, that's requirement. A, a large part of the, of the challenge now, whether you're talking about here or in, uh, in the Global South, for instance, you know, is challenging the, ex- the existing narratives and stories that people have, American Dream, that kind of thing, about how they want to live, what they aspire to. And um, I, I think of the American Dream more in the context of Michael Douglas and falling down, probably. Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, and, uh, in other words, moving to a scenario where you can have a higher quality of life through not having to be spending hours in the car every day, for instance, stuck in, in you know, in, in people's exhaust fumes. You yeah. Know? Um, uh, that is a, is, I don't think that there's enough work going into creating and repeating compelling narratives uh, for people on uh, on on the benefits uh, on, on on the kind of stuff you're talking about yeah. you know uh, that, that you can you can get from from these kinds of changes from any of them well yeah. folk don't like change like but I mean well, not just that it's just it's just the day-to-day it's it's not in your mind you know it's not in your front view is it's gone like it's not a it's not something you think about it's not something that you just don't want to change it that's why it's so important to have examples and you know that's why this building is just one of those so you can say to a person yes you can actually take this Mm -hmm. building yes it is protected but you can still achieve this level of comfort and whatever and it's not an either or it's both and yeah well to your point about reducing Mm -hmm. demand like what cedric Burgess said when we had him on canadian architect a really interesting fella Energy is the apex predator of the built environment. Yeah. You know, you change, you reduce demand, mm. and by the changes that you make to yeah. the buildings, all sorts of other emergent properties, qualities come out of it. So, yeah. in the same way, the wolves being reintroduced to Yellowstone mm-hmm. yes, Park changed the whole story. ecology yeah. and ecosystem yeah. to make it a much better, more thriving mm-hmm. environment. The same you can say of the whole. And if you bring in things like public transport infrastructure, mm-hmm. as you see the world over when these things are invested in, everyone's lives get better. Yeah. Everyone has yeah. a better time. Jeff, you go on holiday to Centre Parks regularly. Yeah. And he mm. talks about the experience of there being no cars. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing when you've got kids being... Mm. Um, there, there are cars on the Monday... Is it, no, it's Monday or Tuesday? I think it's a Monday and uh, a Friday. No one cares. Yeah, but the point is that, that when you're when you're there when people are unloading, 
the whole atmosphere of the place changes. You become worried about where your kids are. Mm. Uh, my son's autistic, for instance, so mm. we're probably more primed to this. And um, uh, he can be uh, uh, ah, he, he can st- he, he, his attention span can, can lapse at times. So you're 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 uh, when you're in a situation like that where you, where you don't have cars, where you don't have that worry, it just your whole mood changes. It's a wonderful piece of, if they were ever minded to capitalize on, of propaganda for, for car-free living, you know. Mm, mm. Uh, you'd have to be able to afford to go to Santa Park, so. <laughs> yeah. You'd have like to go there. France, we were talking about France earlier. There's there's lovely campsites in France that have, like, they're just enclosed areas that, you know, children run around and everybody lives in. There's yeah. no cars, yeah. 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 Mm. Well, it's interesting to think about the good work that's happening in, uh, in Rod Air and how that is communicated to to your passengers and to to the yeah, public. I mean, it is that, that is a difficult piece because it is such a large. There's lots of different projects. In fact, in in within, we don't yeah. you know yeah, we don't change enough information. Left and right hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we are trying to gather that information and become more centralized. Um, in that we have an overarching um, sustainability strategy, and that is being signed off by the CEO. It's going to be rolled out at our website. We're trying to put more sustainability um, uh, messages on our website itself, so that people can click into it to get more information if they'd like to. But as well, we are looking at putting in a carbon calculator as well oh, onto train tickets. So giving people the mindset that's like this, you know, if, if you were to take the car today, this is how much emissions you'd have. But today you're taking the train, therefore, you know, you've only mm. used this many emissions. Yeah. So I think that's very, very, very yeah. good to have. Like Ryanair, I think even has, or is it Ryanair? Or is it, there's, there's a few airlines that have the, those carbon calculators on there that, that it does actually, it has a little green leaf and it says that this is more <laughs> efficient than this one. Okay. It does actually. You can make a choice. Mm. So, but but showing that having it front and center when people buy their tickets is is very important. So, well, this is something like giving people an experience of one of the big problems with things like carbon is how can you make it make sense in your head? Yeah. Like people talk about uh, kilograms of carbon saved. Yeah. You what? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense. The only time I've ever had it make sense mm. was when Lloyd described the iPhone as having. I think, 85 kilograms of carbon associated with its production. Mm. Yeah. So if you consider yourself uh, having uh, an 85 kilogram carbon ball and chain tethered to your phone, mm. all of a sudden you can begin to create some sort of mental You need picture. to make it, exactly, you need to make it more visual so people understand what that actually means. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those, um, there was uh, displays or you can see them on YouTube clips or whatever of, of showing what actual, like a bubble of carbon yeah. If you, you say what a bus uses and then what your car uses and then what a city uses and then you look at these big massive spears of, of black, you know, that are sitting there. So it gives you kind of an idea. But that was one of the, that's one good point is that when we looked at the carbon calculator, one of the, um, we're using this based on, of course, um, the train tickets are based on um, systems that are used in, say, Doshban and stuff like that. They, they use how their ticketing system, we use the same engineering, the IT engineers that do that. And they were giving us this option that it would just show a green leaf on it of how much that carbon was for that journey. I'm like, who knows? What does that mean to anyone? <laughs> yep. So that was five tons of carbon. Yeah, yeah. No, no. What does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? Is it, you know, what is that equivalent to? So the idea of showing it, you know, relation to an approximate or, you know, um, equal to a, what a car journey would be based on a normal car. Now, yeah. not electric. This yeah, is the thing yeah, too yeah. is we're combating the electric side of it. But um, what that will actually show in comparison will give someone an idea of they're doing something good. I think, I think contextualization is key as well. Isn't it? Yeah. And visual. Uh, and some of those metrics I just mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the one one square meter being one ton, which is like a return flight to New York, were useful. But um, from for any architects listening, and I know there will be a good few, I, I kind of thought 
when I realized that 1,000 kilograms per square meter was the embodied carbon in a new building, if you translate that into kilonewtons, that's 10 kilonewtons per square meter. Now, again, for, uh, for non-architects, so yeah. a, a re for a residential building, the live load would be one kilonewton per square meter. For an office building, it might be three kilonewtons. For a sports stadium, it would be five kilonewtons. So the actual weight of body carbon is like twice having a completely full to capacity football stadium. That's just how much that would physically be if it was actually there in physical way so it's actually huge it's huge so so that just gives you some idea of just how what much what was the 10 sorry what was the 10 10 kilonewton per square kilonewton meter for, so for what was that for for public stadia railway stations oh, okay, okay, bridges okay. so so that's a very high load and effectively the embodied carbon is twice that okay so uh, so it's basically a, a, a stadium filled twice to capacity is effectively the amount of embodied carbon that is represented this, by the materials this is where it gets really confusing like yeah. the introduction of kilonewtons and yes. the size yeah. of embodied carbon. Like well, I was going to ask you yeah. when we started the conversation, you referenced embodied energy rather than embodied carbon. Yes, yeah. and I Which, think that is. I I actually, in, in you kind of said in my passive house zealot, the one uh, area of zealotry I would share with you <laughs> is is the emphasis on energy because if you, as yeah, you yeah, said, it's yeah. the apex predator. You get your energy down, everything else falls away, and even if your energy is zero carbon, say nuclear or whatever. You know, there's there's a certain amount. Uh, Professor Ke Kevin Anderson from the Tyndall Institute in Manchester talks about this. There isn't actually enough uranium or plutonium or yeah, whatever in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's 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 a sort of you're going down the cul-de-sac of you don't have to think about this. So reduce the energy and everything else falls away. Look after the pennies and the pounds look after so themselves. We had this conversation with Zach uh, Semke of Passive Ass Accelerator uh, from Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, and they he described something similar in terms of because so from the northwest coast uh, or the northwest of uh, north america there is a lot of less carbon heavy energy like you know it's not fossil fuel it's, it's renewable sources Hydra. so people yeah. can feel a bit more mm. liberal in yeah. their consumption because mm -hmm. well i'm not contributing mm. that's very true because it was well, seattle is, is mostly hydro yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're saying yeah yeah, so yeah. yeah so it's the the dams they have there on the, the columbia River so if, if you're only measuring it in terms of carbon yeah mm -hmm. like ah yeah. beggar it i'll, I'll yeah. take the long that is so true i would never living in seattle i would never have thought of shutting off my lights uh, why like our, our our electricity bills were so low they were yeah. nothing they were pennies yeah yeah but you know it's like the 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 meme uh i am smart what is it the you are still a participant in a society yeah mm -hmm. It all matters, even if you're a little bit. Mm -hmm. And even uh, building a dam. I mean, building a dam, I mean, there's massive, <laughs> there's massive concerns about that. Of if course. they're already I mean, there, the they're already Basin there. Is, like, the, I can yeah. tell you, the, the stream ecology is gone. You know, <laughs> like, I, I like the salmon, there was a big thing about salmon there that was just annihilated because... They, they used yeah. to use the yeah. Columbia River. Yeah. And in Ireland, we've exploited 75% of our hydroelectric potential, so we're not going to be able to yeah, build any more probably. dams. We built a sort of experimental project about 50 years ago called Turlock Hill, which is a sort of form of, of energy storage by having a, two artificial lakes. But it's a tiny amount of energy. Um, and again, that would be more significant if we reduce the energy demand down. And yeah. it's, 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 as I say, it's this energy triage. It's the last thing you do is decide what form of energy you provide. The first thing you do is reduce it to 
what you need for sustainable hedging. The, the point is that, the, that low carbon or zero carbon electricity, low carbon more accurately probably, um, is a precious resource um, yeah. and needs to be used sparingly. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So it's uh, rather than the kind of magical thinking, and it's, it, you're right. It's if you just abstract carbon, and there is a tendency to do that, focus on that. Uh, you can end up uh, again propping up profligate systems that yep. that, uh, that and you, and you can end up in situations where there's a race for people to to get credit for all the the low carbon electricity for for a product that wants to look good, um, and then allow the brown electricity to be used for something else. Yeah, you know? and that, yeah. that, that, that doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense, you know. All right. Um, thinking about wrapping, winding up. Is there anything else you want to to get into this? Uh, I suppose just getting back to the the importance of tackling historic, and by historic, I actually just probably mean old buildings first. Yeah. I mean they tend to be the G rated. Um, as I say, they will probably have, that means they have the worst energy performance, but it also means that they have the biggest gain to give. Mm. Um, they're smaller in number, and I I really think that a lot of the systems out there, in terms of grants, it's a sort of it's a it's a one grant, no matter what the project is. Um, I think they probably should be reconfigured so that they're. Um, a function of the amount of potential energy saving so it, maybe it's a gram per kilowatt hour saved rather yeah. than just a one-off because it's that's one of the reasons that maybe people aren't tackling buildings like the one that we're sitting in now because they are considered more difficult and there definitely is more thinking to be done but the payoff is huge the payoff is huge whereas maybe they're tackling the so-called low-hanging fruit the ones that are easier to do maybe put in a bit of attic insulation and so on which is all good but the, the the cost of getting a guy out to site to do that and so on is very similar at the end of the day. The physical side of the work is quite similar, but the thinking required is obviously less. Yeah, so you're talking about impact. I mean, this yeah. is similar to what Kit Knowles had to say when we yeah. had him on in the summer. Like, he's very focused on doing rich people's houses rather than poor people's houses. Yeah. Because rich people waste energy like oh, you would yeah. not believe. Because they can afford yeah. it. Yeah. The, the houses are designed to be profligate. They want swimming pools. Mm-hmm. An outdoor heated swimming pool. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I, well, that's interesting. I'd mean, I, I, I be interesting. I'm, I'm certainly not uh, apologizing for rich people. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think the sheer multiplier effect I mean, the, what surprised me, the first time I heard that buildings consume 40% of the energy and emissions, I, I remember being absolutely astonished by that because the, the picture I had in my mind's eye was, you know, a steel works and, you know, metal being founded and all the rest. And I kind of thought that has to be the biggest source of energy. And of course it isn't. It's because we all, every one of us lives in the home or a house or most of us uh, we're lucky to do. do. Um, and uh, so just that multiplier effect of us all turning on the kettle, all switching the light, yeah, yeah. That, that's just absolutely huge. Um, but when you're trying to, when you're looking at targets like the 2030 target and the 2050 t- target, I kind of thought the, um, the website 350.org, and uh, Bill McKibbish, he, he, if you don't know that website, McKibben, yeah. M- M- yeah. yeah. So he picked that number because he reckons 350 parts per million is the level that we need to be at to keep global warming below CO2 one and a half. Yeah. yeah. And, and he actually has on that site 
we need to keep 80% of fossil fuels in the ground, not 100%, 80%. And that's a big difference because, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So yeah. getting to 80% well, is a lot realistic. Of, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Because yeah. it's not just, we're not just burning fossils, it's in every exactly. product that we, yeah. So now you decide where are you going to use that 20%? And the easiest way to kind of make do with 20% is to reduce what yeah. you're currently using exactly. and then use the residual 20% for those uses and the means and again uh, Kevin Anderson talks about this you know you don't have to look at to changing technologies you don't have to look at technologies that haven't even emerged yet like carbon capture and storage and so on we yeah. can just get on with this so so I really think what we need to do is kind of come up with a more nuanced way of sort of saying right what's the biggest impact and you know how can we support that first and I think like buildings like this and the older building stock in Ireland and I'm sure it's the same in the UK and elsewhere you know will deliver the, the biggest win in the shortest time with the smallest un number of units before 2030 and as we were saying earlier the experience of going through that will then roll well, into the next tier yeah. and the next tier and the next yeah. tier. All right, brilliant. So can people see your work anywhere on the internet? Now we'll include links to the show links in the show notes to the articles that Jeff has published. Um, Have you got I, pictures I that people can see of this project? Well, we're we're going to write about it in the moment. Yeah, so well. uh, maybe when Jeff, uh, yeah, we're, we're probably a bit media shy. Um, uh, we, we don't promote our own. Uh, and we do work. have a sustainability page on the Irish World website. Yeah. Cool. Um, it's under mm. about us. Yeah. Sorry, hard to mm. find. It, it gives the details of all the different various facets of stuff that we're working on. So yeah. it'd be something to take a look at, and we will be publishing our strategy shortly on there. So cool. All right then. Well, thank you so much for your okay. time. Yeah. It's been good, a real yeah. pleasure. Good. Um, all right. Um, thank you for joining us at home. All the usual things. Join ACAN. Join the ACB. Join the IGBC. Ladies, check her own space. Subscribe to Passive House Plus. Advertise if you can. Review the podcast. Like, five stars, please. Nothing else will do. It's not about us. It's the algorithm, although we are vain and needy. Um, anything else? And the consultancy. Talk oh, yeah, talk to us. Just talk to us. We're interested in talking, even if there's no work in it, because it is all grist to the mill. Yeah. Um, we should probably, given that David, as well as the director, along with myself, of the Passive Association of Ireland, join the PHAI. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for anybody listening who's interested in conservation, again, consider joining ECOMOS. So. Cool. All right, we'll make sure we've got the links. Yep. We'll put them in the show notes. Mm. Jobs are good. All right, well, thank you very much. Cheers. Bye.